Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, it has been like a month, and in the words of Green Day, we're still breathing. Uh, How are you, sir? What have you been up to? Okay, so the good news is that we're a lot closer to the start of football season now that we took basically a month off from podcasting. It's like going to sleep. It makes time go faster. Well, it had its perks. <laughs> yeah, so it had its perks. So now we're in the middle of July, and we have about three weeks until camp opens across the ACC. Tonight, as we record, we're in the middle of ACC media days, so we'll have an update next week, which will be pretty cool. We're getting back into regularly podcasting, so I got that going on. Other than that, I'm just enjoying the summer, man, going to the beach, hanging out, uh, doing what I can. How about you? Yeah, we have uh, we have shared world traveler status this summer. Uh, went on a cruise. We talked about that. This, the boat did not sink, which is good. Always good when sailing through icy waters. Um, Always important. We talked about that. I'm not going to lie. Lost a little bit of sleep. Worried about it. Uh, but we're good. We're back. And I uh, went, went to a wedding and went to Toronto for a baseball trip with some buddies from college. So... Uh, yeah, I've been all, all over, and we got a dog, so that's happening, and uh, I stepped down from managing from the rumble seat, and... Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really eventful month, I think, for the both of us. Um, work has been busy for the both of us, and it's made uh, p- finding time for podcasting pretty tough, but I think we've got the crazy dog days of summer behind us, and I think we are all set to get back on a regular schedule here. Um, so I, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to start talking, you know, a little bit of, uh, the, the ACC in the fall of 2017. If, if you are, I am, I mean, what are we doing this podcast for? Am I right? Well, specifically to talk about ACC football and sometimes other things too, which true, you know, depending on how you, how you gauge these things, maybe mostly other things you never know. Um, yeah, no, it's been a busy summer, and we have, obviously, it's been about a month since we've recorded, maybe a little more. Uh, the last episode, if you did not listen to it, it pissed off a whole bunch of Wake Forest fans. If you are one of said pissed off Wake Forest fans, we do apologize. I think that came across a little bit differently than we intended it to, um, but we do invite you to come on and discuss sometime if you'd like to, so please hit us up, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. I am at FTRS Joey on Twitter. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC on Twitter. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. So please hit us up if you've got thoughts and feedback. And if you want to come on here and argue with us, like, hell, this is a podcast by the people for the people. So, you know, come on, bring it. And we're officially a real podcast now because I think we might have haters. We've been talking about that for months. I think we have haters. We have established a hater base. I don't know. You can't really call it a hater fan base, but a hater base. 
at the very least. And I, I find it ironic considering we are the internet's number one Wake Forest podcast and the hater base is primarily made up of Wake Forest fans. So um, we'll, we'll work on rectifying that logic. But in any case, um, yeah, like I said, I think that came off a little differently than we intended it. But in any case, please come on and, and debate us if you ever have issues with that or whatever else we say. But Mike, for tonight, um, we've, we've talked about doing this for a while, and I think we've talked about doing it for about a month, basically since the last time we did a podcast, but um, one of the things I wanted to do was ACC quarterback situation power rankings. Um, so one of the big things when the ACC last year was really strong quarterback play, especially throughout the Coastal, where you saw a lot of quarterbacks leave and get drafted. You had the number one overall pick, Mitch Trubisky. Not going with Mitchell, just Mitch. Mitch. Just your boy, Mitch. Mitch Trubisky, uh, second-round pick out of Pittsburgh. And the name's going to come to me here in a second. And it was Nate Peterman, your boy. You love Nate Peterman, right? I love me some Nate Peterman, kind of. Yeah. Uh, Gerard Evans out of Virginia Tech and Brad Kaya. He tanked He tanked that, huh, Gerard? That went okay. Oh, man. Probably could have gone better. Um <laughs> Brad Kaya from Miami, uh, Justin Thomas at Georgia Tech, all these. So there's a lot of openings in the in the coastal. Um, there's also a lot of returners in the Atlantic, and so we want to kind of take some inventory of where these things stand going into 2017. I think it kind of also helps to tell the story of where some of these teams are going to shake out in terms of uh, just final standings. And so we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about Atlantic quarterbacks tonight. Mike, which is again made up of a lot of returners, and then we're going to come back here early next week, and we're going to talk about coastal quarterbacks. And like you said, we're also going to do an episode uh, sometime next week talking about the ACC media days and any fallout coming from that. So we are trying to produce a lot of content here on the on the basketball conference podcast to get you through the uh, the end of the off season. No, no more beach, no more beaching and making fun of Wake Forest. All right, no more, no more. Uh, we might make not uh, no more you know, no problems. Okay. You know, make fun of Wake Forest here shortly. I mean, spoiler alert, they're not at the very top of my list here. But anyways, so we have not discussed, we, we kind of went through and did some research before him, but we have not discussed yet where these rankings fall. Um, and so I'm curious to see how this goes. But do you want to start, Mike, from the best or from the worst of the Atlantic and work our way the other direction? Let's start from the worst. Okay. I have a feeling that we are going to agree on this, but of the seven teams in the Atlantic, and this, you know, again, we're talking about quarterback situations here, so not necessarily the defined starter, but if you're not returning a starter, then who are your other options? So of the seven teams in the Atlantic, Mike, who do you consider to have the worst quarterback situation going into 2017? Like always, the Boston College Eagles. Ding, 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 ding. Because they don't have Patrick Tolles anymore. And who would have thought that, you know, getting rid of Patrick Tolles was actually a bad thing? Um, that's the state of their quarterback situation. You know, Patrick Tolles played okay at Kentucky, played okay at BC, was actually an upgrade from what they had in Darius Wade before he got hurt a couple years back. And then they had Troy Flutie, the nephew of Doug Flutie, and... It was just an utter disaster for Boston College two years ago in 2015. 2016, a little bit better. You had some consistency, sort of, at the position in Patrick Tolles. But now you don't have him anymore. So is it back to Darius Wade? Is it going to be redshirt freshman Anthony Brown? Those seem like the two contenders there at quarterback for BC uh, heading into the season. 
you know, my gut tells me that Darius Wade will probably be the guy just because he's the veteran in the room. But, you know, with the Steve Adazio offense being what it has been here at Boston College, I think it's really anybody's guess, you know, who the quarterback will be. But I'm not sure either either option is that great. Brown looks pretty good. He looked pretty good in the spring. He looks like a guy who can potentially compete and, and be the starting quarterback here for the Eagles. And, you know, he is a redshirt freshman, so he has been around the offensive system. But having a guy like Darius Wade back there who is actually, you know, been in the line of fire there at the quarterback position I think that does count for something so I think he likely starts the season as the starting quarterback but I think we could see some of Anthony Brown especially when Boston College inevitably struggles at one point or another this year on offense I'm right there with you bottom of the Atlantic to me yeah Boston College the Eagles um, Darius Wade so he comes into his redshirt junior season having played in three seasons so far. He has recorded stats in 2014, 15, and 16. Uh, 2015, he only played in three games, and I guess maybe got it considered a medical redshirt or something. Um, And so, career, 33 for 69 for 355 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, 31 carries for 91 yards. And that is his career production through three seasons, uh, and of course, abbreviated seasons as possible. But as you mentioned, I mean, Patrick Tolles in 2016, as weird as this feels to say about a former Kentucky quarterback, uh, was a little bit of a godsend for the Eagles offense, kind of buoyed them and gave them some semblance of a passing attack because that's not been there in the past with Darius Wade. Anthony Brown, I mean, there's no telling if, if he can produce that any better than Wade can. Um, both dual threat types, you know, so Adazio, even going back to his days at Florida, has seemed to run a, a system that runs better when a, a quarterback has mobility and is able to get involved in the running game, as is pretty common in college football these days. But um, this, is not a, this is not a great situation where you feel real good about what either of these guys bring to the table. I'll, I'll be surprised if if these guys can really make the Boston College offense any sort of a threat. Um, I know Bill Conley has been doing his, uh, his previews for SB Nation, and he's recently embarked on the ACC, and, and one of the first ones he did was Boston College. And uh, just talking about how, how one-dimensional the offense was last year is pretty, pretty ridiculous, you know, how, how much they struggled to throw the ball. And that was with a quarterback like Tolles who had a big arm and actually had a decent amount of talent. I'm very concerned about what Wade and Brown will be able to do making up for that. And I I have very big concerns about Boston College's offense with those guys running the show. Yeah, I mean, the strength of Boston College's offense has been on the running game anyway. Uh, Historically, under Steve Adazio, you think about the quarterback situation two years ago in 2015 and how bad it was for BC. I think that's a situation that we could see manifest itself once again here. Uh, this fall, which isn't good for Boston College fans, considering they actually took some steps forward last year offensively. I thought, at least towards the end of the year, end up with a winning record. You put up a ton of points in the bowl game. Tolls looked okay. You know, not having him in the fold is actually really going to hurt them, and he was really just an average quarterback for them. So uh, it's going to be tough sliding for Boston College. It generally is on the offensive side of the ball, but I think they're once again in that same sort of situation at the quarterback position that they were two, two seasons ago, and that didn't really turn out well for anybody. Not looking good for the Eagles. Mike, at number six in the Atlantic, 
I told you I was going to piss off some Wake Forest fans again. I've got the none other than the Steeman Deacons. Um, Wake Forest returns John Walford after I don't. I mean, a, an okay, you know, campaign last year. I guess. I mean, we talked a lot on this podcast though about the way that Wake Forest is going to move the ball and win games is not by letting John Walford throw the ball. Um, Never a good idea. Yeah, in fact, it looked like the more that he threw the ball, the worse things turned out for Wake Forest. Um, if you could keep John Walford under about 20 passes a game, you were in good shape if you're Wake Forest. And the games where you threw 40 times, or you know, 35, 40 times, that was where things were, really went south in a hurry. Um, so that's not a good look for a quarterback um, and, and doesn't speak well to the situation there when you, when you look at a a quarterback that you prefer not to be throwing the ball and you prefer to be distributing the ball to various ball carriers. Thank God we're not going to have to talk about this quarterback competition anymore after this coming season. I'm so sick of talking about John Wolford and Kendall Hinton at quarterback. It's been a four-year struggle. We're on year number four. Uh, look, John Wolford last year wasn't even supposed to be the starter, right? Kendall Hinton started the season as the number one guy quarterback for Wake Forest. Hinton blows out his knee. Wolford steps into action, played all right, nine touchdowns, ten picks. That's basically what Wolford has been and what he is as a quarterback. He's not going to blow you away, but he's a you know decent enough game manager that you know if you have a solid running game, he can get the job done at the quarterback position to the extent practical for Wake Forest to be competitive, as they were for much of last season. They had a really solid year with him playing quarterback. Um, Neither one of these quarterbacks blows you away. You know, uh, Wolford is more of the passer. Hinton is more of the runner. Neither of them are really good at doing the other offensive trait. <laughs> so it makes it pretty difficult. I think you're going to see, once again, both of these guys, especially, you know, we're now assuming Hinton comes back, his knee's healthy, and everything's good there. I think we see both of these guys playing quarterback here. Um, Kendall Hinton, of course, a year younger than John Wolford. So Wolford entering, I believe, his senior season. If I'm not mistaken, um, double check that for me, Joey. And he is I, a he's a fourth year senior. Yes, he's a fourth year senior. I believe Hinton's a year younger, or uh, Kendall Hinton's a year younger, I believe. But um, you know, I think Hinton's got more upside because if he ever figures out how to throw the ball, he's a dual threat guy. He brings an extra element to the offense. So my gut feeling is that you'll see more of Kendall Hinton than John Wolford, assuming they're both healthy. But you know, Wolford's played as much as he has over these past four years for a reason. And it's not necessarily because he's good, but it's because the quarterback situation is so dire there at Wake Forest. It's a better situation than BC, but it's not the great greatest position to be in there if you're the Demon Deacons. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. They're going to have to run the ball better again. I think if they do that, whatever quarterback they plug in should be good enough for Wake Forest to be competitive again this year and try to get to another bowl game. Hinton, by the way, played in the first three games of last season and actually was the more accurate quarterback completion percentage-wise with 57.9% completion. Ouch. John Walford, on the other hand, starting quarterback basically the entire season, 166 for 299, that's 55.5% completion. Um, Not great. Nine touchdowns, 10 picks. Not great. Um, Yeah, this is, I mean, again... This is where Wake Forest had success last year was not throwing the ball. And, and I'm not saying that they were, you know, better at, at running than passing by itself. I'm saying that the more they passed it, the worse it got. 
Um, and so, look, Demon Deacons, you've, you've got the tools in a run game. You can control the clock. You've got a solid defense that can keep you in games. You don't have to you know, go light up scoreboards. So, again, the less that we can pass, the better you're going to do, as we saw last year. Um, and, by the way, Mike, you, so I had Wake Forest number six. Is that where you had them as well? Yep, Wake Forest is my number six team. Okay. Um, sometimes it's scary how in line we are with these things. <laughs> um, yeah, Demon Deacons number six. Sorry about it. At us. We're not going to change our minds. Number five, Mike. I, I feel like we might end up with a little bit of disparity here. Who do you have at number five? This is when it might start to differ. I have NC State at number five, which might be a little bit of a surprise because, you know, Ryan Finley's a pretty good quarterback. But the reason why I put them at number five is because I'm higher on another quarterback in the Atlantic Division that's just ahead of them. Um that we'll get to here in a second but you know Ryan Finley obviously for NC State last year pretty decent season for them um you know when you consider they got off to the start they got off to they kind of sputtered a bit there in the middle of the year but you know Finley threw for over 3,000 yards last year 18 touchdowns I think that's you know what you need out of a guy at the quarterback position for NC State um you know the Wolfpack have prided themselves on running the football really well you know, prior to 2016, they didn't do it quite as well last year as they've done in years past, but they threw the ball a heck of a lot more, uh, more effectively than they had uh, in years prior um, with Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback who, quite frankly, was fine for them. But, you know, Ryan Finley's really good. If there are any issues there, they do have very talented Jalen McClendon, who we've talked about, I feel like, multiple years now. Uh, was a really talented recruit that came in two years ago. We actually thought he was going to push for the starting quarterback job when Jacoby Brissett was a senior. Uh, it didn't end up happening. But then Ryan Finley came in, won the job last year, and put himself in, obviously, position you know really good position to be the starting quarterback now there for the next couple of years. So, you know, assuming Finley puts up similar numbers to what he did last year, um, you know, I think NC State will be in good shape. But... Uh, because I'm a bit higher on other quarterbacks, I actually have their their position there sitting at number five for NC State. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of just have to see how it plays out. Finley, of course, transferred from Boise State to join his uh, offensive coordinator, Eli Drinkwitz, who is probably on the all-coaching, uh, all-name coaching team in the NCAA I want to notice as well that not only did Ryan Finley transfer from Boise State and and start for NC State as a redshirt sophomore last year, he graduate transferred from Boise State. And as a redshirt sophomore is, I guess, working on like a second undergrad or like a master's or something. So that's impressive. Um, I didn't do that, by the way. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm looking at this as a freshman in 2013, redshirt freshman in 2014, regular sophomore in 2015. I don't know. Was there an injury in there? I don't I don't really know. He's on his fifth year of eligibility as a redshirt junior in 2017. So I don't know how that math all works out, but somehow it does for, for Ryan Finley and NC State. Um, Mike, this is where we're going to disagree on the number five pick, by the way. I'll, I'll get to Ryan Finley here in just a minute. Uh, my number five team none other than the reigning national champions, the Clemson Tigers. Ooh. Um, yeah, I'm putting Clemson all the way down at number five here. Um, I, I, so, of course, they're trying to replace uh, two-time Heisman finalists and top 15 draft pick and 
quarterback that we thought was better than the number one, you know, number one overall pick. Uh, that was Deshaun Watson. Um, I, I take Clemson. I think has um, the reason I put first of all the reason I put Clemson in front of Wake Forest uh, is is just pure talent and upside. Um, I I struggle to think of either of these quarterback options for Clemson that would turn out worse uh, than than John Walford. And so even with the uncertainty, I think that Clemson will end up with a better QB uh, answer than Wake Forest has right now. So that's why I put them above Wake. Uh, I put them under NC State. I have NC State at number four, by the way. I put them under NC State because of the uncertainty and because of what we just don't know. That said, Clemson looking at replacing Deshaun Watson. They've got two primary options here. Kelly Bryant uh, has been around for a couple years. Seems very talented, very well-suited to fill a similar role that Deshaun Watson played, a dual-threat kind of guy. Only threw nine passes last year, completed six of them for 48 yards and a touchdown. Not really a whole lot there, but again, a very talented dual-threat guy. He's he's competing in camp with Hunter Johnson, who's a true freshman, was basically the top quarterback recruit in the country last year. Um, so again, I think there's very high upside here with Clemson. We don't really know what we're going to get, and so for that uncertainty, I'm putting him at number five, um, but I don't think that it's going to be problematic to the point that it's really going to cause a major drop off for the Tigers. Yeah, that's completely fair. Uh, just based on your reasoning, I mean, when you lose a guy like Deshaun Watson, you're trying to replace him with, you know, Kelly Bryant, who we don't really know all that much about, and Hunter Johnson, who's got no collegiate game action. Um, it's a situation there where, you know, we're talking about, you know, game action versus upside uh, in the ranking. So I have him a little higher just because I like the potential there, uh, but I completely get where you're coming from. And like I mentioned, I have NC State at number four here. Uh, as you mentioned, Ryan Finley, a guy who's experienced, uh, played in 2015 with Boise State, played in 2016 under the same coordinator at NC State. He was he completed almost 60.5% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. I think we're going to see some growth in his redshirt junior year now that he's like 23 years old. Um, I, I Again, I don't know how that math works out, but... Um, I think that Finley is a is a strong quarterback here. I think he's got a lot of talent around him. That the NC State offense in uh, in 2017 might be a little bit surprising to people on the national scale. Probably aren't expecting maybe as good as they will be. I don't know. Maybe I'm eating these words here in a couple of months, Mike. But um, I like Ryan Finley at number four for NC State. Uh, number four for me is actually the Clemson Tigers. So we actually flip flop there. Um, the reason why I have Clemson ahead of NC State here is just because I believe the potential with the two quarterbacks Clemson has in that room is greater than what Ryan Finley will put up at NC State. Maybe that's a bold prediction. You know, maybe, uh, you know, just based on what we've seen limited action of Kelly Bryant, like the potential's there, right? He's a solid quarterback. He was the primary backup to Deshaun Watson for a reason. And then you have Hunter Johnson who, you know, was the number one quarterback recruit in the country for a reason. So if he wins a starting job, he's got the opportunity to, you know, make a name for himself as a freshman, you know, much like DeAndre Francois did for Florida State last year. A little bit different situation, of course, because Francois redshirted first. But, you know, assuming Hunter Johnson dresses, which I'm assuming he will and could be a very big player in this quarterback competition as a true freshman, um, you know, Clemson's going to be in a good spot, I think as good a spot as you can be when you lose to Sean Watson, who really was the best quarterback in college football all around for the better part of two and a half seasons. Um, and, you know, had that 
upward trajectory faster than I think any of us expected when he came in as the starter for Clemson a few years back. So, uh, you know, I'm projecting Clemson to just have a situation a little bit better than what Ryan Finley can put together at NC State. Obviously, we already have the stats of Finley, so it's really if you're projecting upside versus, you know, what you already have, generally you want to go with the sure thing. But, you know, I think having the top quarterback recruit in the country is important and having a guy in Kelly Bryant who sat and learned behind Deshaun Watson and has potential to do similar things within the offense that Deshaun Watson did uh, is why I put Clemson just slightly ahead of NC State as far as a quarterback competition is concerned. And, you know, from a depth, perce- from a depth perspective, um, you know, you have to like what you got at Clemson every bit is as much as you do with NC State. And one of the things that we debated a little bit before we came on here, Mike, and again, we didn't discuss rankings, but we did talk about uh, Clemson's situation in particular, was would Dabo Swinney actually play a true freshman at quarterback? And what I what I brought up is that Deshaun Watson started a majority of his freshman year when he was healthy. Um, he did not start the season out as the starter. Uh, that was Cole Stout, who... You know, we have opinions on how good he was, but that's fine. Um, Deshaun Watson was the starter at Clemson before the end of September. Um, And then he got hurt. He missed several games. When he came back, he was the starter again. And so I I think that's a fair expectation, you know, is if if it comes out that Hunter Johnson really is the guy at Clemson and is the best option that they have on offense, I, I think it's fair to assume that he will not start right out the gate for Clemson, um, and he will have to have a little bit of you know warm up time where he'll get game time, um, but will not um, will not start the season out outright. And then you know we'll just have to see kind of where things go from there. Uh, Clemson starts the season at home against Kent State, and then a week later at seven o'clock on Saturday night hosts Auburn, uh, which is a bit a bit treacherous, and then a road trip to Louisville. So again. A couple of tough games, really, in the in the uh, right out the gate for Clemson. Home against Boston College on September twenty third might be a chance where you see, you know, a little bit of a, a quarterback change if if really they are going to go with Hunter Johnson uh, by the season's end. So something to keep an eye on. As you said, though, Mike, you've got so starting at number seven, you've got Boston College, Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. I've got Boston College, Wake Forest. Clemson and NC State. And so the top three are all the same teams. We'll move on to number three, and I think I think we're going to be in line with this one, if I had to guess. Um, but I'll let you take the stage here with your number three quarterback situation in the Atlantic. Yeah, my number three quarterback situation is Syracuse, and that might surprise a lot of people, but I'm just extremely high on Eric Dungy. He's put on 15 pounds in the offseason. Um according to Dino Babers and, you know, what he said at ACC Media Days today, and we'll get into all that next week on a podcast. But, you know, Eric Dunchy, you know, as a freshman, he completed, what, 60% of his passes, 1,300 yards, 11 touchdowns. Last year as a sophomore, 65% of his passes, 2,700 yards, 15 touchdowns, 7 picks. You saw the Dino Babers effect right away in the passing game. And he was injured. Um, the numbers would have been even better than that if he wasn't injured for the better part of the second half of the season. Um, Eric Dungy's in a great position to succeed there because the offense fits him. Uh, he's a six foot three gunslinger, a guy who steps back and just flings the ball out there. Syracuse plays in a wide open offense under Dino Babers. They throw the ball 40 or 50 times a game. 
that's a great offense for Eric Dungey to be in. It's quite frankly a great offense for any quarterback in the mold of Eric Dungey to be in. Um, and he's in a situation where he can take another leap forward here in his junior season and really surprise some people because Syracuse's offense now is going to be very, very good. You're coming into year two with Dino Babers. Year one, you're kind of feeling it out. You're getting a sense of the system, but now you're starting to have the players in place there for Dino Babers in that offense, which, you know, as we saw at Bowling Green at his prior stop, it's a really exciting offense to play in and to watch. So I'm really excited to see what Eric Dungey does because I think he he's already very good and has potential to be even better as long as he stays healthy. And I think, you know, hitting the weight room in the offseason, fully recovering from that shoulder injury, I think that's the first step towards, you know, becoming the quarterback that he can potentially be here down the road here in his junior and senior season. So number three on my list is Syracuse. To no surprise, Mike, I agree. Uh, I've got Eric Dungey, Syracuse, number three. One of the things you talked about was Dino Baber's offense, and I think one of the keys is that I think we're going to see a significant jump in year two, and that's saying something because year one was not bad at all. Um, Syracuse offense is pretty potent. Um, it ten, it's, looks like their biggest issues are on defense. It's the, the team strategy looks like right now, can we outscore people, which is a valid strategy in today's world of college football, but... Um, Eric Dungey's certainly the, the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. Um, he, again, 65% completion, 15 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, uh, close to 2,700 yards. And, th- and that was only in nine games of action in between injuries, like you mentioned. So I think Syracuse might end up being a little bit of a dark horse in the Atlantic. I mean, they're not going to win the Atlantic, but they might place better than several people expect them to in the Atlantic um, because of how good they're offense just might be in 2017 the other thing i want to bring up is that while we're talking about total quarterback situations is that um at syracuse not only is it eric dungy is the quarterback but the backup is everybody's favorite disney recess character uh zach mahoney nice um he he stepped in for eric dungy and was able to sufficiently you know step in and, and play a couple games last year uh, almost 61% completion, eight touchdowns, four interceptions. So don't sleep on the backup quarterback at Syracuse either. Zach Mahoney can uh, can get it done if need be. He uh, he was the starter and the primary quarterback for Florida State and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh game in particular, he abused the, the Panthers' terrible secondary last year. 43 for 61 for 440 yards, five touchdowns, only one pick. Not bad. I'll take that from a backup quarterback any day of the week. So um, I am with you, Mike. Syracuse at number three for me. Number two, and I'm, I don't think that we're going to disagree here, but maybe there's some chance. Uh, number two, I've got the Florida State Seminoles. Um, in particular, bringing back DeAndre Francois after a strong freshman campaign last year. Um Francois in particular, I think, was very noteworthy among the two of us on this podcast uh, for just how tough he was. I mean, he got just destroyed in certain games last year. And I remember in particular the Orange Bowl against Michigan where he, I mean, he was taking shot after shot and he was being helped off the field and then just like limping back onto the field. And I mean, I don't know how he did it. I don't think it's a long-term sustainable thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing as it's caught up with Andrew Luck in the NFL where, you know, you can be big and strong and all that, but the human body can only take so much punishment. Um, but he was tough. He hung in there. He had a lot of really good games. Um, he performed in some big time, uh, in big time games. Um, again, as a, as a freshman last year, I thought it was a, a strong performance and he expected a pretty good jump 
into year two for, for DeAndre Francois and Florida State. And I think he's going to have the, the supporting cast this year to take the Seminoles a long way. And, and they're probably the favorites in the Atlantic in no small part because of what he brings to the table, Mike. Yeah, number two for me is also Florida State, and it's for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, so I won't rehash a lot of that. But I think the one thing about DeAndre Francois, obviously the toughness, like you mentioned, the fact that he threw for 3,300 yards last year with an offense that you know was really reliant prior to you know him arriving there and becoming the guy at quarterback was really reliant upon Dalvin Cook, who you know struggled through injuries at times and then you know came back and you know he he was fantastic over the course of his career there at Florida State, but. Uh, you know, it was a situation there where they had a lot of injuries with their receivers and a lot of moving parts there. Offensive line struggled at times to protect him, which is obviously a major issue when you're playing quarterback in the ACC uh, because you have a lot of really good defenses. And Florida State, you know, faced no shortage of those last year. Uh, Francois needs to improve his completion percentage. I think he will. He only completed about 58% of his passes. That's fine for a freshman. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman last year. He took care of the football, which I think was the most important thing. 20 touchdowns to only seven interceptions. Good enough as a redshirt freshman. I expect him to be much better this year just because it's another year of development. Like you mentioned, I think the supporting cast will be better. They're not losing a ton at running back. I know that's insane but because Dalvin Cook's walking out the door. He's one of the greatest running backs in Florida State history. But you've got Cam Akers coming in, one of the top running back recruits in the entire nation. A guy who's big, strong. He's got the breakaway speed. He's got it all on film. He's going to be an unbelievable player for Florida State. The running game's going to be fine. They're going to be fine at receiver. They got the whole bevy of bevy of receivers. All the talent in the world that uh, that Jimbo Fisher recruits there at Florida State. So Seminoles are going to be really good. They're one of the favorites to not only win the Atlantic but win the ACC and and represent the ACC and the college football playoff preseason. It seems like everybody's picking Florida State. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of media people picked Florida State to win the Atlantic last year and be that team. I think everybody was a year early. I think this is the year that Florida State could get it done. And it'll be because of DeAndre Francois and what he brings to the table. But, you know, they're the number two team on my list as far as quarterback situations are concerned. I think Francois is going to have a very exciting year there for the Seminoles. Yeah, Florida State had a brutal rebuilding year last year where they finished 10-3. and three. Um, Bomber, huh? And. Yeah, no, that's I, I feel for you, Seminoles fans. That's that's not easy. Um, I, I want to point out, too, not only did, did he do all that he did um, in terms of numbers, so one of the things that sticks out to me is Francois had 400 passing attempts on the nose last year. Seven of them were intercepted. As a redshirt freshman, as a guy who's seeing his first taste of college action, I mean, that is – that's pretty impressive. Um, and not to mention – those defense, those those passes were thrown against defenses such as Ole Miss in his first ever collegiate game, no interceptions. Uh, Louisville, good defense, one interception. Miami, good defense, no interceptions. Clemson, good defense, one interception. Boston College, good defense, no interceptions. Florida, Michigan, also very good defenses, one interception each. Um, if if Francois is taking care of the ball. He's handing it off to Cam Akers. He's distributing to his endless slew of weapons on the outside and and just, again, keeping Florida State in the game. If you're just not losing the game, the talent around him is plenty good enough. Again, we saw 59% completion and only seven interceptions from Francois as a full-time starter as a redshirt freshman. I think Florida State is in perfectly good shape going forward, and they probably should be the favorite in the Atlantic again, as I said. Um, 
And so, Mike, that brings us to number one. So to recap so far, I have Boston College number seven, Wake Forest number six, Clemson number five, NC State number four, Syracuse number three, Florida State number two. You have Boston College number seven, Wake Forest number six, NC State number five, Clemson number four, Syracuse number three, Florida State number two, and that leaves just the reigning Heisman winner, Lamar Jackson, in the Atlantic. And uh, I think that's a pretty no-doubt number one QB situation, if I had to say, Mike. Yeah, it is. And Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman Trophy behind that offensive line last year remains one of the biggest miracles in college football history. And I'm not shy at saying that. I think it was a situation where Lamar Jackson as good as he was for Louisville and lighting up the scoreboard and doing everything they did for them last year. It's even more impressive when you consider just how bad that offensive line was. But when you look at the jump from 2015 to 2016 for Lamar Jackson, um, passing wise, you know, Louisville was much more exciting. Now Lamar Jackson, 55% of his passes completed in the 2015 season, just over 56% of his passes completed in the 2016 season, but he threw the ball, nearly 200 more times in 2016 so 3,500 yards passing 30 touchdowns only nine interceptions last year the interceptions really started to pile up towards the end of the year you know they did have some injuries on the offensive line but even when they were healthy that offensive line was very very bad and uh, they had a lot of trouble protecting him but you know he makes all the plays both running and throwing uh, average almost nine yards of completion last year which is extremely impressive and it speaks also to the fact that they have a really talented cast around him, which I think really helped him in his Heisman run last year. Running the football, obviously, was key to his success as well. 1,500 yards rushing, nearly 1,600. In fact, 21 touchdowns on the ground. A little bit of running, a little bit of throwing. And if you look at Lamar Jackson, I think he's in line for a similar year this year. I think it's kind of irresponsible to assume that he'd put up exactly the same type of numbers he did last year. Last year was just a freak season. One of the, one of the best statistical seasons um, that we've seen out of a quarterback in a major conference, um, you know, by both running and throwing the football. But when you look at Lamar Jackson, I think he's in a situation to succeed. He's got the talent to do it. He's got a good rapport with Bobby Petrino, his head coach. And I think Louisville's going to be really good once again this year. And I think in order for that to happen, Lamar Jackson needs to be every bit as good or better than he was last year, uh, just taking care of the football and you know, you hope that the offensive line protects him because if they do, I think you're opening up a Pandora's box here with Lamar Jackson. I think he could be even better if he's, especially throwing the football, if he's better protected. Uh, we saw that he he's protected the football. He hasn't hasn't thrown a ton of interceptions, um, and you've seen the improvement from year one to year two. I'm really excited to see what he does in year three, which could be his last year there at Louisville. I saw a tweet uh, a week or two ago, Mike. And it was talking about, you go back and watch some of the earlier games on the schedule before everything really fell apart for Louisville last year, that Thursday night in Houston that I'm trying to block out of my memory because that was one of the less, you know, least fun football games I've ever been at for my own personal interest. But um, if you go back and look before that, they went into that Houston game at, I believe, 9-1. and And although they were... The only loss was a close loss in Death Valley to Clemson, and they had otherwise just beaten and given various just degrees of beatdown to the teams that they faced. The tweet that I saw last week kind of talked about that there were probably a couple of warning signs there in terms of how good their offensive line was. Um, and you saw them really struggle to pull away from, like, Virginia, 
And you also saw them down to Wake Forest going into the fourth quarter um, before eventually pulling away. And I think part of it was that we were seeing warning signs that Louisville's offensive line was not good at all. And, and the tweet really kind of pointed that out and then combined that with the fact that Jackson wrapped up the Heisman by like mid-November. And considering that he did that behind such a questionable, iffy offensive line is nothing short of incredible. And that's the thing I want people to realize is that we sit here and focus on the fact that Louisville lost their last three games of the year, two of them against Houston and LSU. They got absolutely blown out. And, and Lamar Jackson played probably his two worst games of the year, um, both games under 50% completion. Uh, he, he really struggled to get anything going on the ground. He had, a, he had 33 yards each game uh, on about 25 carries in each game, um, so just couldn't get anything going. And a lot of people want to look at that stat line and say, well, that's, you know, Lamar Jackson, maybe it just isn't that good, you know, and he was just fooling us all there for a few games earlier in the season. It's like, no, 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 no. This is the same team that was putting up 50-plus on, you know, the first half of their schedule. Lamar Jackson was putting up stats not because the team itself was so good, you know, or, you know, he himself was exposed at the end. It was that he was that good that he was doing all that with the same team that also just couldn't couldn't find its way whatsoever against Houston and LSU. So... That's what I want people to realize is that that's how good Lamar Jackson is. And it's up to Louisville and its coaching staff and all that now to make sure that they have the right personnel, the right offensive line around them to make that offense go again in 2017 the way that we saw it do last year. So, um, yeah, Mike, I think that's the obvious choice. Number one is Lamar Jackson. And so we pretty much agree on these rankings. We flipped four and five being NC State and Clemson. And that's kind of maybe – different values on upside versus experience. Um, so maybe not as exciting this way that, you know, we have uh, pretty much the same quarterback ranks for the Atlantic. I will tell you right now, I, I expect us to have somewhat significantly different rankings for the Coastal. Uh, so just a little bit of a preview. We've got seven teams in the Coastal and only two of them return a quarterback from last year. One of them might wish they weren't returning a quarterback from last year. It's basically a bloodbath. Yeah, so it is a pretty much a total free-for-all in the Coastal, and I'm really curious to see how that all shakes out. Um, we will come back early next week, I think, and do that episode, as well as a recap of ACC Media Days. And I think after that, Mike, it's about time to start previewing teams and their seasons as we get here into uh, – the back half of July, and as you mentioned earlier, it's uh, it's about time for fall camps to start up. It is, and speaking of the season previews, we're hoping to have some contributors of the different teams across the conference on to preview their respective teams for the upcoming season, along with us bringing in a third man. Uh, I think that would be pretty cool to do. Uh, we did that a little bit last year in season, and we had talked about doing it for the previews this year, and you know, have special guests on at times throughout the year and, you know, recap games and preview games. And, you know, we're hoping to have a lot of exciting people on board here as we continue to grow our podcast, Joey. Season two of Basketball Conference Podcast should be even more exciting as we uh, have figured out some of this whole podcasting business, um, such as like how to consistently schedule things or like how to have functional computers and all that, which is great. Functional so. computers, really important. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, believe it or not, uh, to do a technology-based audio uh, program, yeah, you need technology that will work with you and all that. Anyways, um, yeah, so keep an eye out for that. Um, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? Yeah, like we said, uh, sorry, I'm going to cut you off there. And before you even say anything, final rankings of the ACC Atlantic, number one, Louisville, number two, Florida State, three, Syracuse, four, and five, NC State and Clemson in whatever order, six, Wake Forest, seven, Boston College. Now, Mike, anything else before we head out? I am all set, Joey. Awesome. We will talk again soon. Until then, if you guys uh, want to come check us out, like we said earlier, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with all your gripes and questions and concerns and everything else. Um, and in fact, Mike, I, I haven't told you about this, but I think what we're going to do is uh, the, the first person that sends us an email with a question, and I don't care what the question is, if it's ACC football related or otherwise, we will answer the question on the podcast. We're just going to do that. First person to send us an email, you will get your question answered. It's almost Promise. like a cash prize. It's very simple. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like, a, like a treasure hunt, but... You have the treasure, and it's just like doing it faster than everyone else. Um, yeah, so again, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us a question that we have to answer regardless of what your question is. So hit us up. Um, Mike, where else can they find us? We've got uh, other social media stuff, right? We're on Facebook, Joey. Hell yeah, we're on Facebook. Yeah, search us on Facebook, Basketball Conference Podcast. Pretty easy to find us all the same sweet stuff we try to post other stuff there from time to time too other than just our podcast so anything we see that's interesting um you know acc related that we might cover on the show uh drop some reviews on there too you have that cool option where you know if you have a podcast that you put on facebook you can actually set us send us a review there as well so do it on itunes do it on google play do it on facebook like our page on facebook tell your friends we're still trying to grow this thing in order to grow this thing i guess it helps having a podcast more than once a month but that's something joey and i are you know handling on our end and we're heading into the season now so it should be a problem we'll have all sorts of sweet acc content now uh from now until what january i think we're gonna be in pretty good shape joey yeah just like we said a month ago we're gonna start doing this more than once a month um <laughs> By the way, talking about other venues, uh, I was looking today and it looks like Spotify is like officially like starting to really ramp up their podcast features. Are they So now? they are. And so maybe we will explore that and we'll keep you guys updated on that. So, but in any case, uh, yeah, you guys know where to find us. Come check us out. And other than that, we will uh, talk to you again soon. And until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. No ACC. Yeah.